Haven't you heard? A queen is on the rise. Wear a mini hat so she can open up your eyes. Join the convo, the podcast is lit. Cop a pen to the spice up your fit, yeah. She's a producer, you can vibe to a remix. She do the most, but she ain't come to do the least. Whether it's the combo or the music you want, find it all here at tttalks.com. Come and stimulate your mind with tttalks. Promise you'll never fall behind when tttalks. The knowledge you're seeking, you can find. Talks. Com, so come on and get with T-T-Talks. Peace, family. It's your girl T.T. from T.T. Talks. Just so glad to be back behind the mic again to bring some more bomb content. As per usual, I have been out in the streets traveling and working on this content. As y'all know, it's my goal to be a full-time content creator, producing podcasts and videos and hosting events and doing speaking engagements and guesting on radio and podcast shows and producing music and just doing all kind of cool shit like that. (laughs) I'm uh, gearing up for a big trip to Rwanda at the end of September. I'm super excited about that going to be doing some physical therapy educational work out there and also we'll be able to connect with some content creators out there so I look forward to that thank you to all of you who have donated and purchased merch to help me get there there is still time so if you haven't just go to tttalks.com you can make a donation the donation section you can purchase some merch uh please continue to like and follow subscribe and share if you're enjoying my content You can definitely meet me on the interwebs by going to TT Talks group and fan page on Facebook at TT Talks on IG at Miss, that's MSTT Talks on Twitter, TT Talks on YouTube at MissTT Talks at gmail.com. You can also shoot me a text at 850-509-1194. That's my cell phone number. Hit me up on the low if you want to do business or talk about how I can host your event or be a guest on your show or do some beats and instrumentals for your content. I'm very accessible. So just hit me. So last episode, episode 23, I played Mass in Antigua with Fuse. Yes, four beautiful sisters joined together and formed a mass troupe called Fuse. Sister Kosua, Maisha, Thea, and Ife. They're bringing people together from across the diaspora to come fet in Antigua, in unity, and in love. And if you missed last episode, I need you to catch up, Mustard, okay? Here's a quick snippet about the amazing community work Fuse is doing in Antigua with the Nyabingi Theocracy Church School. It is the only Rastafari-based school recognized by any government in the world. So uh, this community is a community of, of, of people who believe in Rastafari as their faith. And um, during the, I guess, the 60s and 70s, when people were just beginning to start that faith, there was a lot of criticism and ostracization from the rest of the community for people who chose to be Rasta. So they wouldn't allow the children of Rasta um, families actually go to school. They wouldn't pick them up in the bus, buses and all those things. So they ended up starting to homeschool or teach their children themselves. So in 2011, they were actually recognized by the government of Antigua and Barbuda as a recognized primary school. So they have a primary school, which is pre-K to what we would consider like sixth or seventh grade in the US. Um, but, um, and then they go to um, a normal, um, you know, country-ran school for their um, secondary school. But um, they, since that time, um, they have now gotten more support from the government. FUSE has interacted with them for the last four years, um, 
bringing in school supplies and posters, and we also bought some um, technology, um, laptop, not laptops, excuse me, um, tablets, and also um, their projector, um, and then also provided some internet service for them, and also an exchange with a homeschool community in DC. So we had them um, via Facebook Live watch classes from um, the Sankofa Homeschool um, uh, initiative in the Washington, D.C. area. So make sure you go to FuseAntigua.com, that's Fuse with a Z, and follow at Fuse Carnival on IG. This year's theme is Legends of Ankara, and I already know it's going to be hot. They are capping. You hear what I'm saying? Capping meaning they are cutting off at a certain amount of people. So make sure you're pre-registering so that you can make sure that you are in the number when we touch down in Antigua next year, all right? I have been producing a lot of visual content as of recent, so I have a ton of videos that I will be releasing in the upcoming weeks. Make sure you are following me on YouTube uh, and all across the interwebs. Make sure that you have access to that content because you don't want to miss it, I promise. First, I was in Washington, D.C. shooting content with Makina Media. I was attending the Birthright concert. I went to an ASA class and I did an interview with a certified ASA instructor, Sumalu, uh, with my homegirl, Gian in tow. Uh, I interviewed my sister, Thea, who owns a shop called Osley Pure, selling all kind of beautiful, delectable body goods for men and women, have you smelling good, feeling good, using all kind of natural herbs and spices. You got to go down there and get some um, and I also interviewed my brother and friend, Malandela Zulu, who is a fabulous artist in the DC area. Uh, I own an official Zulu painting. He also has a clothing line. If you look on my original promo video, you will see I have on that fly ass Zulu soul jacket, you know, I'm representing. Um, and in this video and in this interview, he did a painting um, and he worked his magic. You get to see him work his magic. I can't wait to see the visuals on that. Shout out to Makina Media, Abel, Brooke, Tiffany. Y'all got some incredible footage from uh, the other weekend. And man, y'all, I don't even know if y'all ready for it yet, man. I was interviewing vendors. I was, you know, just having a good time out in the community in DC. DC has a special place in my heart. And I'm just so glad that Makina Media uh, had the opportunity to, 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 to show that. Then I shot another video uh, last weekend. I was in Tampa, Florida with my good friend, my college friend from FAMU, Jamaris Glenn. He uh, and two other sisters opened a restaurant in Tampa called Seventh and Grove, okay? Right in the heart of Ybor City. It's a beautiful space. I had a good time talking about entrepreneurship and coming out of the HBCU experience and building a business with friends and building community and it was just wonderful I'm, I'm so excited about it um shout out to philip scott from delvemore studios he's also a rattler uh, i've just been so blessed to be able to work with so many entrepreneurs and artists so just stay tuned man the video coming for that i'm, I'm thinking because it's really a rattler project you know i'm a rattler out of famu brother jamaris who opened the restaurant he's from famu the brother that shot the video brother philip uh, he's from FAMU. So I'm thinking I want to drop that video homecoming weekend, which is uh, in the first week of October. Um, so I'm thinking I'm going to drop it then just because it's fitting. You know, Rattlers do it better. <laughs> if you want me to continue to 
uh, be able to, to drop content like this, make sure you are purchasing merch, uh, donating, uh, becoming a patron on Patreon. Uh, I accept any and all assistance in all of this because TT Talks is, is it's a hard project to keep going, but it's a project that I love. Uh, and I appreciate everybody's support. So thank you so much for the past support that you all are giving me. And thank you for future support that you're going to give me. I appreciate it. Like more than you could even understand. I really do. So we're moving along to episode 24. All right. Uh, today's episode, I am so overjoyed to share with you all a good friend and TT Talks frequent flyer, Dr. Nzinga Metzger. Y'all first met her on episode seven, where we had an impromptu show about Haiti and other, quote, shithole countries. Mm. So I'm going to give you a little clip to refresh your memory, because if you don't know who Nzinga Metzka is, damn it, you about to find out today. Okay. You can't uh, look at Haiti and say shithole country like that process happened in a vacuum by itself with no input into creating that situation from the West. Slavery in Haiti was some of the most difficult, most taxing on the human body, um, most harsh, most violent, most vicious slavery that was perpetrated in the Americas. Mm. It was known for being extremely um, inhumane. Inhumane, yes, right. As as it was in Brazil and mm-hmm. also Guadeloupe and some other places, and um, the life expectancy for Africans in Haiti was so short that part of the reason why we see all of these cultural manifestations that have this very deep feeling of Africa in them is because the life expectancy was so short that Haiti had to continually import Africans into the country to maintain the level of sugar production. Now that y'all are familiar with who she is, (laughs) I need y'all to hear when she came back on my show on episode 14 for the panel show I did right after the midterm elections. We were talking about young black people and politics. And so here's a clip of Nzinga from that episode. Okay, what I'm supposed to do after I vote. Well, let's just be really honest for a second here. Mm-hmm. Most of the people who ask that question ain't doing shit no way. First of all, <laughs> let's just right. talk about that. Right. So my thing is, if you're not That's doing true. anything, yeah. if you're not mm-hmm. working in the community, mm-hmm. if you're not organizing, if you're not knocking on doors, if you're not volunteering, if you're not, you know, doing mm-hmm. something for the community, the least expensive Mm-hmm. least in terms of time investment, mm-hmm. least in terms of energy investment, least in terms of really thinking because you can go to your party and get a ballot mm-hmm. is just vote. Mm-hmm. And then you can go back to doing the nothing you was doing before you was asking <laughs> exactly. the question. Exactly. Cause that's really where it is. There's exactly. really a very small portion of the population mm-hmm. who is out there mm-hmm. busting their asses for social change. Yes. And most of these people asking this question with this level of indignance are not the ones who are the out work. there doing the work. Yep. Yep. So all we're saying is if you ain't doing nothing, 
this is a, one more, you know, point three nanometer of nothing that you can go do to help the people who are out there who got themselves on the line. Hello. Right. So now y'all are understanding why I needed to have her back, right? She's one of my favorite people. I love her incisiveness. I love her intelligence. She is the type of person that I love to have on my show. That's why I keep inviting her. And for some reason, she keeps graciously accepting. We'll come here, leave my microphone in flames. I'm just going to have to start charging her, man, because my mic stopped working when she come on here. <laughs> but I'm excited for y'all to hear this show. She has two beautiful organizations, Dunia Fore and the Ashalaye Academy. Um, and we're going to talk about her personal work and a little bit of just about her life, her vision, um, and what she's doing um, to help African people across the water. All right. So make sure you stay tuned for this one. Enjoy. Hey, Sam, it's your girl TT from TT Talks. I'm so super excited about this guest. She's a frequent flyer on TT Talks. Y'all just heard some clips. Uh, from her her prior appearances on TT Talks just to get you up to speed about who this sister is and the fire that she brings. And I've had her on before for her historical and sociopolitical views, but this episode we're going to talk about how she puts her expertise into practice and how she makes uh, meaningful change with her organizations, uh, Dunia Fore and the Ashale Academy. Dr. Nzinga Metzger, thank you so much for joining thank me today. Thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's such a great privilege to be here and to talk about my work. Yes, I'm excited to have you here. Um, as y'all know, she tends to leave the microphone in flames when she... <laughs> When she comes on the show, but I think we're going to be a little bit more subdued today because we're not talking about white, uh, you know, white supremacy right. and racism and you know political foolishness. Right. But um, yeah, I'm really excited because um, she has an organization that I really love supporting. I wish I could just support more. I just one day I'm going to be a millionaire. I just I feel it. I and shake. so they just you know they're going to be one of the organizations that I just completely all out support because I, I love the vision. Um, so tell the little, tell the people a little bit about who you are for the folks out there who are not familiar with you. Just a little bit about your background, who okay. you are, what you do. Um, my name is Ndinga Metzger and I come from, uh, an African and African American background. Um, my parents are, I don't want to say they're children of the sixties because they were young adults during the sixties, but they were, um, you know, in their 20s, uh, in the early 60s, during the black power era, the black cultural arts movement, the civil rights era, they were, you know, coming of age. My mother definitely was here in the United States. My father came here in 1968. So I was basically raised in a um, Pan-Africanist household. And my parents' union is reflective of that because my mother is uh, African-American and my father is Susu and Creole. And I choose those words intentionally because of the colonial lines mm -hmm. or whatever, because there are Susu people in Sierra Leone as well as in Guinea. Mm -hmm. um, so our family was bifurcated by the division um, of Guinea and Sierra Leone. Mm -hmm. And so just growing up in that environment, um, both of my parents always stressed, you know, when my brothers and I would come of age and we would grow up that we were always supposed to give back in some way and to always remember you know that we were only a few generations off the plantation hello you know or a few generations or actually one generation out of the house cleaning mm -hmm. era mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and then even on my father's side 
having one branch of his family be uh, recaptives a few generations off of the slave ships. Mm. So there was always this sense that we were obligated to give back in some form. Absolutely. Now, the form that we were exposed to growing up was always just basically turning back and supporting the family. Whether that meant sponsoring someone's education back home, you know, sending money to make sure that everybody who lived in the family house has rice, you know, basic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, amenities to live off of or what have you. And then obviously on my mom's side, helping um, my grandparents and things of that nature. But as I grew older, I just had a, an expanded vision of what turning back to help, you know, would look like. And I had come to a point in my life in 2015 where I had hit like all of my major hallmarks. All mm-hmm. the things that I had said that I wanted to do prior to 2015, I had mm-hmm. achieved I had achieved them by 2015. And then I was like, for those of you who know me, yeah. I was in a dramatic space. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, my life is just, I don't know. I don't know. Is this all it is? I'm going to work and I come home and I go to work and I come and I was just like, you know, there's gotta be more to life than just working and paying bills and yes. coming home. And so, you know, I just went into for for some black folks would call it a prayer closet. Hello. You know, and I just I took my spring break that year and I just isolated myself in my guest bedroom and I fasted for like 10, 12 days. And I just asked spirit to tell me what to do next. And then I just started getting these downloads about this organization. Mm-hmm. And um, then I approached our mutual friend, Bruce, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he knows about filling out forms, which I'm allergic to. <laughs> I'm allergic to. Yeah, I don't like doing that stuff. I can't do all of that stuff. And so shout I, out to Dr. Bruce Strubble. Yeah, Strubel. shout out to Dr. Bruce Strubble. And I asked him to fill out my 501c3 papers and, you know, get my application together. He did that for me and I got my status. And so mm-hmm. from that point, I started developing um, the programming that I wanted to do. I named the organization Dunia Fore because our family language, one of our languages is Susu. And Dunia Fore basically means black world in ah. Susu. Beautiful. Um, and I just started developing the programming from there. My vision was to to leverage the talent and the education of my family members um, to go home at, in the various countries where we have family members, obviously, mm-hmm. Sierra Leone, Liberia, Guinea, Mali, Nigeria, um, and create uh, programming that would help uplift communities there. So sharing our skills, et cetera. And then eventually what it did is just kind of branched out into other areas. And that's how I kind of came up with the idea of doing um, Ashalaye Academy. Beautiful, beautiful. So I need y'all to understand what the sister did. Let me rewind real quick because you said something very important and I've been thinking a lot about this and just haven't found the right words to articulate it when you were talking about growing up in with parenting from an African-American perspective and from a continental African perspective. And we never, we always hear about all of the shit that goes wrong from the ADOS crowd, right? We always hear about all of the negative things that happen, but I can off the top of my head count at least a dozen people that I know personally who have an African-American parent and a continental African um, parent. And in all of those instances, it's always been a very good, not perfect, but outcome. It's always been very favorable um, 
for the children as far as perspective and worldview. And I just see a lot of really wonderful things happening with, um, you know, the merging or the re-merging really mm -hmm. of, of those two, those two perspectives. So I, I really, before we even talk about the organization, I just want to say that this, these organizations, um, you know, that we're about to talk about, they are really the, the, the birth and the brainchild of the beautiful things that happen when African American and African continental African culture, um, just get over it, yeah. get over the bullshit, heal through it, of course. Um, but also be hope it be open to all of the positivity that can come from it. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. Um, and you know, and, and before we move on, talk a little bit about like what that was like coming up, you know, with those two perspectives. Um, my, I, I cherish my upbringing because I don't know. I don't know if it's just that my parents are two very unique people mm -hmm. or I, I don't know what the formula right. is. Right. What I do know is that they were both very acutely aware of their blackness. Mm -hmm. You know, my grandfather on my mother's side, he was a World War II veteran. And, um, obviously he was from the South from South Georgia. We don't know if it was Macon or Savannah, whatever the story used to change. Um, but he had his own experience with white supremacy. And so he raised his children with a very acute awareness of that. My father is coming out of post-colonial West Africa. Mm -hmm. So he's coming out of the era of the Sekuturais and the mm -hmm. Kwame Nkrumahs and the Patrice Lumumbas, mm -hmm. you know? So he was getting that rhetoric at home and actually my father when he came to this country he became a black panther mm. mm -hmm. um so they were both very conscious and aware of themselves as black people in right. the world right and so they didn't have this whatever this created static is that we hear from right. the ados crowd or whatever they didn't have that they were coming together as two black people mm -hmm. now that's not to say that there weren't cultural issues sure because sure. there were but because, and I also think that because my family was also, my mother's family was also very deeply rooted in the South, there weren't a lot of familial contradictions. So the, the value for large families, family interaction and connection, mm -hmm. those things were the same, mm -hmm. you know? So my grandparents coming from South Carolina and my father coming from West Africa, those kind of values yeah. had not completely deteriorated here in the United States yeah. uh, at the time that my mother was growing up. So those things definitely kind of smoothed out hmm. some of the things that mm -hmm. I think people nowadays may be facing. Absolutely. Um, but for example, because my father is an African, we spent many summers with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. That was completely normal that you would just send your kids and go <laughs> like I was, we spent six to eight weeks a year with yeah. my mother's people Yeah, because that was normal. That's what families do, you know? And then my mother's sisters would come and stay with us whenever my mother had children, like, cause there right. were four of us. So right. they would come or my father's uncles would come. We had, people were constantly coming and going from our home, from both sides of the family. Um, we, and we spent a lot of time together and our families actually became quite integrated to the mm -hmm. point where there are members of my father's family who came to my mother's sister's funeral because mm -hmm. my aunt has been 
around yeah. and integrated into our family for the past 48 years. Mm -hmm. So they really kind of blended. And I don't want to paint this picture like everything was sure, perfect because sure. it wasn't. Yeah. You know, there are certain things that I'm sure my parents struggle with, but as their child, I'm not privy to all of those things. Right. Absolutely. Um, but the value for family was definitely something that was shared. And um, I think even though my grandfather, because my mother told me my grandfather had some commentary about my dad being African before she married him. Like, oh, I want you to marry no African, whatever. But, you know, once he saw the way that my father carried himself and conducted himself, they ended up having a, a decent relationship. And before my grandfather died, he and my father had a conversation. Now, this is interesting. My grandfather and my father had a conversation about what was going to happen with my grandmother when she died. Hmm. He didn't have that conversation with his own sons. Hmm. He had that conversation with my father. Mm -hmm. And he asked that he just make sure that my grandmother was taken care of after he died. And that's what my father did. Mm -hmm. Because those are the kinds of values that he comes out of. Mm -hmm. And my, my grandfather knew that those were the kinds of values that he came out of. And so that he knew that he could communicate that to him and it would be treated with some level of gravity. Mm -hmm. And that if my father said he would do it, it would be done. Do it. That's it would right. be done. It would be done. And thank you for sharing that. And I and I was intentionally asking that question because I wanted people to really have a good understanding of um, the perspective that these organizations were birthed from. You know what what came, what, what they came are before. rooted in, and exactly. what they come out of. Absolutely. Exactly. So. Um, so you were fasting and praying child and crying and crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's when the magic happened. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, my dream has always been to like basically create my space back home. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure most people are aware that there are many governments in West Africa that are severely wanting in terms of organization and, you know, not ha they haven't weathered the post-colonial era very well. Right. So I've never really dreamed so much of being in politics, but I have always tried, been trying to figure out like, how am I going to fit back home? You know, and I've always, and I perceive of Sierra Leone as back home. Um, and so it wasn't until I started really digging mentally into this idea of having an organization that I realized I was like, oh, this is how I can do it. You know, this is how I can create a space for myself where I can be of service and I can also have um, something to do and possibly generate a living for myself back home, you know, while I'm being of service. Um, and then also not just in Africa, but all throughout the diaspora, which mm -hmm. is why I named it Black World. You mm -hmm. know, it's not just about Africa. It's about, for me, really, it's about the entire Atlantica, Afro-Atlantica, you know. I mean, I don't know, maybe one day I'll end up in Black Iraq or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, but for yeah. now, my focus is Afro-Atlantica, you know. So, you know, African America, as in the United States, the Caribbean, South Central America, um, and then obviously Africa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what the, I, I know you've, you've done several things under the umbrella of, of Dunia Afro. Like, what are some of the things outside of Ashala that you've been doing? Okay. Yeah, um... I am a arts and culture person. Mm -hmm. I really love African um, uh, African performing arts. Mm -hmm. So music and dance, I, I really love. Um, and I and I love them not just because they're aesthetically beautiful to look for look at, but because I feel like they are ways of encoding our story. Hello. 
Yeah. So I feel like if you look at our art forms, whether they're performing or plastic arts, if you look at our art forms with a discerning eye, you can really see the greatness of the things that we have created. And I'm not just talking about kings and queens and you know that whole shebang and spiel. I'm talking about at an intricate level what our societies were made of mm -hmm. when you look with a discerning eye at our art forms. Right. So these are the kinds of things that I'm intrigued by. So one of the things that I did um, at FAMU, for example, was I brought Amadou mm -hmm. Kuyate um, and Weedy Brima mm -hmm. to lecture and then also do a um, chamber concert in mm -hmm. Tallahassee. I uh, had uh, Nettie Torres, mm -hmm. who's an uh, Afro-Cuban dancer, mm -hmm. come and perform here as well. Um, what else have I done? Oh, I did the, what did I do? Oh, the simple civics class. So I, we did a mm -hmm. class to teach people how government functions at both the local level and the federal level to help people see that there is a way that you can get involved to make a difference in your community as far as politics are concerned. Mm -hmm. We're trying to kind of combat this um, dissociation and this kind of anomie that's crept in the mm -hmm. black community in that terms apathy of and yeah. apathy. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, in terms of not getting involved with politics. And then here, the last, the most recent thing that um, I created was the understanding racism course, which is, was, is a 13 week course that basically outlines and uh, provides context for institutional racism. Um, and the reason why I wanted to do that was because I feel like there are a lot of people talking about racism and they don't really know what racism is. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like there aren't many spaces for black people to have informed conversation about racism. Right. I think there are oftentimes a lot of people just throwing around their ideas and throwing, it down, throwing around conjectures and not really having the people who study these things explain things in ways that are easily digestible and understandable. So mm -hmm. we did that and that was 13 weeks. Um, coming up, we have Amadou coming again to yeah. North Carolina, so he's gonna perform. And one of the reasons why I chose Amadou is because the Susu people uh, were once a part of the Mending Empire, mm -hmm. and also because my brother absolutely loves Chora music. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to have an event that kind of incorporated Chora music. And I was like, oh, well, Amadou's right up there. Let me see if he'd be interested. So he's gonna perform um, and probably do a little bit of explanation about what Chora music is and how it is really the classical music of the Manding Empire. This is a perfect example of mm -hmm. what I'm talking about when yeah. I say, if you listen and look with a discerning eye, you can really see how complex African societies are. Yeah. You really could use the Quora as a lens through which to study and understand man the Manding Empire and Manding culture. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, outside of just the music, first, first of all, it's a 14 string Loot. <laughs> yeah. First of all, first of all, let, let's you start know what I'm there. saying. You're playing it with two hands, um, and not only that, the people who play them make them. Yeah. So if we just were to look at the core in and of itself and contextualize, okay, what does this? What is this telling me? What is this instrument telling me about Mandan culture? Obviously, there has to be some form of apprenticeship because ain't nobody waking up in the morning with this brilliant idea of how to make this 14 string loop. Somebody mm -hmm. is teaching. There has to be some form of organized teaching that's mm -hmm. happening mm -hmm. outside of, you know,
just the playing. So somebody is making them and then somebody is teaching people how to play them. And there's got to be some level of organization to that. And then what is the repertoire? Who's handing down the repertoire? Right. What is the technique? You know, there's all these things that are obviously in place that have created the classical music of these type of people. And you can't have that type of structure if we just a bunch of Negroes swinging from, <laughs> from vines. That right there tells you a whole lot about right. that society, you know? So that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have um, Amadou come and play. That's when it, what's the date on that? The date is August 3rd, I believe. That's a Saturday. August 3rd. Yeah, that's this okay. coming Saturday, and it's going to be um, in the evening in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I can post. I'll be posting okay. the invitation. Um, people can attend. Obviously, if they want to attend, the tickets are $30, and all of the proceeds go directly to our programming. Um, or if they can't attend, they're still free to send a donation. Oh, another thing that we're doing is we're sponsoring a, a FAMU graduate on her first birthright trip. Nice. So there's a sister organization that I work with called... Uh, Grow House Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and they we worked together to do birthright trips. Last year we did a, kip, a trip to Cuba with youth, right? And then this year she is taking a group to Ghana, and so I'm sponsoring a FAMU graduate to go on the trip. That's beautiful. I love that. That's beautiful, 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 y'all. And definitely, if you're not familiar with Cora music, I need you to get familiar with Cora music. Absolutely. Just Cora music with a K. It's it is absolutely elegant. Um, it's ethereal. Ethereal. If you even if you have no um, no reference for it, when you hear it, you're immediately going to be just trans transfixed on just the beauty and the elegance of the sound. And then when you start to learn the history of it, and then when you start to understand just the the guilds, the the guild culture. Exactly. You know, it's 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 an organization right. of of historians and artistry mm -hmm. and craftsmanship mm -hmm. and musicianship and just excellence. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's black really, excellence. It's, it is literally black excellence. And, um, yeah. So when you're around here playing Mozart and stuff for your babies, that's cool. Yeah. I like Mozart. Right. Mozart's fabulous. Throw some core music right. in there. Throw some Tumani Jabate in there. Hello. You know? Throw some, throw some, throw some cuyates in there. Um, yeah. Because people have this concept. When we say classical music, mm -hmm. the first thing that pops to people's minds is those European yeah. composers and musicians. Every society on the planet has their own yes, classical music. Yes, they do. Europeans do not have a monopoly on classical music. No, they do not. And so this is the classical music of the Mending empire mm -hmm. and it's not just percussion people think that african music is strictly percussion there are so many instruments so many countless countless instruments that are played. I, I hear and learn a new one every other month right i swear i do right all over the continent yeah. so many different string instruments woodwind Wind, instruments yeah percussive instruments um, the balafone and all of those related mm -hmm. instruments, the marimba, the marimbula, like all of these related instruments, there's tons of instruments. A lot of people also don't know that the kora is a part of the family of instruments that the banjo mm -hmm. is derived from. So mm -hmm. there's an instrument from Gambia called the akonting, and it's uh, what the banjo is based on. But these are all West African string instruments that the kora is a part of that family. Mm-hmm. Put that in your cup and sip it now. <laughs> hot tea. Hot tea. Hot tea. Hot tea. But this is this is important, and this is why it, I'm really excited about hearing about and being um, somebody who has supported Ashalaya Academy because 
you're giving this type of information to people when they're younger. Right. You know? Right. They're not getting this information. And there's nothing wrong with getting this information at 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. It's, Obviously. It, there's never a bad time to no. get this type of no. information. But it's it's wonderful just to be able to put this in their minds early. Exactly. Because there's so much um, in regards to, to, to self-worth and self-respect that gets etched away over time mm -hmm. if they don't have the proper cultural protective barriers exactly. up. And education and information is one of the major things that can help combat a lot of this. So um, talk a little bit about... Ashalaye. Yes. Yes. Okay, so yes. Ashalaye is... Um, Ashalaye Academy is a summer school program that I developed for traditionalist children in Oshogbo. They're the first location that we've had Ashalaye. Ashalaye means culture is life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a cultural anthropologist, so that's the lens that I view the world through. Um, I like to think about culture as being human beings operating system. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, your culture is your operating system. And then as you go through life, those experiences kind of lock into your operating system mm -hmm. and tell you and tell those apps if you will how to work what you know what that what that operating system is going to generate mm -hmm. and so the idea was to create this summer school program that's like an enrichment i don't know if people do summer enrichment anymore but right we used to have summer we enrichment did programs. and i don't remember anything in recent time, time where yeah. that's been happening so we i wanted to create a summer enrichment program for these traditionalist kids and there were a couple reasons why. Oh, what is traditionalist? Tradition I was just about to say. <laughs> I was just about to say because you know I have people listening from all over who may or may not be familiar right. with the terms. For one, Oshogbo is in Nigeria. Right. It's in Southwest Nigeria in Oshun State. Right. Um, and talk a little bit about traditionalist. Children. Right. So the traditionalist children are going to be the children who practice their traditional um, spiritual system. Mm -hmm. They are neither Muslim nor Christian. They are traditional. They practice their tradition of their ethnic group, which in this case would be Yoruba. Um, most of them, if they are from Oshogbo, I want to say they would be Oyo, but I'm not sure. Okay. Um, Oyo Yoruba. Um, and so uh, traditionalism all over Africa really is facing challenges. Mm -hmm. um, we have people who have been um, inculcated with colonialism, whether right. that colonialism is Western European colonialism or Arabic colonialism mm -hmm. that has taught Africans over the last several centuries that everything that we do is backwards, savage, uncivilized, evil, you know, all of these negative adjectives. And so what ha part of what happens as a result of that is that Christians come to Africa and they establish their missionaries or their missions. Muslims come to Africa from Saudi or wherever mm -hmm. they come and they establish their missions. They establish their schools. Their traditionalist children don't get anything. And one of the reasons why I chose Oshogbo is because every year there's this huge festival in Oshogbo, the, the annual Oshun festival, mm -hmm. which, which uh, commemorates the establishment of Oshun at Oshun. Uh, I'm sorry. As of it, it commemorates the establishment of Oshogbo as a favored city of Oshun. Mm -hmm. So it talks about the story of Oshun and this hunter named Olutimain and how they came to agree on where to establish Oshogbo. And that's what the annual festival um, commemorates. 
This festival draws in literally probably millions of dollars every yeah, year. It does. People from all over the world attend this festival. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, there would be no annual festival if it weren't for the traditionalists of Oshogbo. It sure would. They are the ones who maintain the Oshun shrines and the shrines of all the other Orishas that are there for people to mm -hmm. experience when they come to the Oshun festival mm -hmm. or when they come to Oshogbo in general just to just in general experience the Oshun river. And even Ilay Faith. Right. Or the mm -hmm. grove or what have you. Yeah. So my thing was, what would it mean to have a summer enrichment program for these children, the children of the people who are basically maintaining this tradition that attracts all of this tourism. What would it mean for these children to have an enrichment program that basically taught them pride in their identity as traditionalists, taught them pride in their blackness and their Africanness, taught them about their connection to other people of African descent in the diaspora mm -hmm. and then also help them to build up their academic foundation. Mm -hmm. What would be the long-term effects of, you know, teaching at the time I thought I was going to have 60 kids. Right. So what would be the effect of like, you know, just kind of, kind of stewarding these children every summer with this kind of program that kind of just edifies them in these ways. And I was like, this, this could work, mm -hmm. you know? So that's when I started trying to raise money uh, back in 2016 for our first year, which was 2017. And when I got to Oshogbo, um, I had two people, Niyi Adeniyi mm -hmm. Elebuiban and Muidin Shina Elebuiban. They were really kind of like my community liaisons. And they um, put out a call to the community and let people know what we were going to do. Called the parents to Baba Ifayemi's compound, let people know, you know, this is what we're trying to do, whatever. And on the first day, we had 100 children yeah. <laughs> to register. Right. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not ready for this. Right. <laughs> and they were like, and we were looking for children from six to nine. Child, they brought children from three to like 14. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> all the cheering. All the cheering. They brought all the cheering. And we, you know, we made it work. We tried, we figured out, you know, what to do with them. The program, they get their t-shirts, they get folders um, every year, and they also get lunch every day for a full month. And so that was our first year. Our second year, we had 125, even though we reduced the age. So we got, we went from, last year, we went from eight to 18. And we still had 125 hmm. kids and still the same setup. They get their folders, they get their free t-shirts, and they get lunch every day. And what like made me cry on the first day was like these 14 year olds that showed up in their shirts from last year. <laughs> it's still like, yeah, it still deeply affects me because I'm like, I can't believe that they mm -hmm. thought so much of the experience that first of all, they save their shirts, yeah. you know, they save their shirts and they showed up on the first day like, I got my shirt, I'm ready to go. Like, yeah. where do you sit? Where, 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 where I got to sit? What do I need to do? I'm ready, you know? And that was just like, there that was amazing. There are a few things that fill your soul up more than wanting to provide something for a person or people or community and they receive it well and give it right back. Yes, you know? yes. I you know? really, really enjoy teaching the 14 to 18 year olds. Like, they are... They are zooming. They are so ready. Like any little piece of information I drop out there, they just suck it up. And they, they're processing so fast that 
I'm not struggling to give them information, but I'm always taken aback because in my mind, I have a pace that I'm trying to go at. And they always surpass mm -hmm. the pace. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, oh, okay, y'all, okay, y'all got that. Okay, let me, <laughs> like, spread, like, okay, let me get some more. Let me get some more. Exactly. Let me get some more for the chair. Exactly, exactly. So the first year we did um, Africa, the continent. And well, actually, we started out with the world. So we taught the little bitty ones, all of the continents, all of the bodies of water on the earth. And um, we taught them like the difference between the ocean, a, a sea, lakes, rivers, um, shore, you know, all the vocabulary that has to do with continents and bodies of water. And then the older ones, we got into um, natural resources. So coal, bauxite, aluminum, cobalt, you know, all of those things that you can find in Africa. And then from there, we started with biomes. So we started going through the biomes of Africa. So um, grassland, tropical rainforest, mm -hmm. subtropical rainforest, desert, and all the different types of um, biomes that were in Africa. So we finished that last year. And this year, I basically started teaching them the same curriculum that I teach my freshman college students. Mm -hmm. Now this is 14 to 18 year olds. Mm -hmm. And so I started with, what did I start with? I think I started with Australopithecus. Wow. So I started with Australopithecus explaining to them, mm -hmm. you know, the evolution of, of human beings from, was that 3.4 million years all the way up to uh, Homo sapiens sapiens, Homo sapiens Vidaltu. And then we got into um, prehistorical Africa. So we talked about a couple of, um, a couple of archeological sites one is called uh, Gobaro, which is in northern Niger. It's mm -hmm. about 8,000 years old. Um, and we were talking about, you know, the shifting of the sands and how you get these layers, how this uh, burial ground was preserved, what the lifestyles of the people were based on the things that were found in the area. One of the things that interesting about Gobaro is that in the two different human beings that are found there, they don't have any evidence of war. Hmm. So there aren't any like broken bones or um, combat injuries mm -hmm. on the bodies that they found there, which is interesting, hmm. right? Hmm. Very, um, very interesting. And then we talked about, um, there is a, a mummy that was found in Libya. There's a documentary on YouTube. You can still find it. It's called Black Mummy of the Green Sahara. Mm -hmm. And it's about a little three-year-old boy who was mummified in Libya around 6,000 years ago, which is a thousand years before the oldest mummy in Egypt. Hmm. So it's forcing archeologists to rethink this idea that the Egyptians created um, mummification. And it's um, forcing them to focus on the idea that from the Western coast of Africa all the way across to Egypt, that there was one related culture that existed there prior to what we know of as ancient Egypt that probably had this knowledge and information because of the petroglyphs and all this stuff that are very similar across the entire northern part of Africa. So we talked about all of that. And um, they were like, Auntie Labisi, so we are the elders. I was like, yes, you are the elders of, you know, you are the elders of, commu of humanity. Of humanity. You know, so what does that mean? What does that mean? 
how do you think that means black people should be treated as the elders of humanity? Mm -hmm. And then their minds just started mm -hmm. like based on culturally, based on culture, how they exactly. view eldership. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they yeah. were like, Oh wait, wait a minute. Yes. You know, it started clicking in. It started really clicking in and they started, you know, I started talking to them about capitalism, consumerism. What does it mean when you have a country like Nigeria where people don't make much money, but people are judged by whether they have an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And who's getting that money? Mm -hmm. Where does that money go when you buy the iPhone? They were like, to Europe. I was like, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, little brother. <laughs> you know? That's where it goes. That's where the money goes. That's where all the money That's goes. That's where all the money goes. So then, you know, they start processing about, you know, they're the elders. And then, and then they were like, one kid said to me, so they just came to our country to take our natural resources and kill us. I was like, well, I mean. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if that's the conclusion right. you came to, <laughs> you got a good brain. Right. You know? I mean, they, and then they were like, well, then they wanted to know, well, why did the white people come here? How did they get, why am I talking to you in English? One kid was asking me, well, what did the first language sound like? Uh, Who was speaking it? Where did it go? You know, their brains just started, they started, mm -hmm. you know, processing things really, really, really quickly. And I was like, wow, there's a lot that I can actually do with them. Yeah. So this year we didn't do it. I wanted to focus on fundraising, but also building a more, um, sustainable and long-term structure. Right. So, um, I had, cause it was almost like a pilot these last, yeah, two, these years. last two years were like a pilot Yeah. and I kind of got my bearings and I know kind of like what the challenges are and you know, how to, how to function. And what I really want to do is create, uh, what I'm working on is creating sets of workbooks that will have basically six to eight weeks worth of lessons in them so that I don't have to be on the ground doing all of the teaching or most of the teaching when I'm there. So if I can get these notebooks created by mid-year, my desire is to have the teachers get the note the workbooks rather, have them read through them, basically go kind of through like a two to three month training with my teachers and then I can just have them teach and I can be there maybe for two weeks mm -hmm. out of the program and then I can start to float around from place to place as opposed to having to spend gotcha. six months, I mean, six weeks in Nigeria myself. Gotcha. Because gotcha. I want to, I'm ready to, to move to Sierra Leone. Right, right. And so I need y'all, if you go on tttalks.com under the donation section and you read it, it says that um, any donations that I get, any merchandise that people purchase, 10% is always going to go to a community-based organization. This conversation is telling you why they get some of that money. Exactly. You know, because it's we need to support these type of institutions, this kind of um, community-based, grassroots, thoughtful, historical, cultural institutions that are here um, for the children and to bridge the gap between the children because right. um, she's doing everything that she says she's doing with, you know, planning and having everything there. But she's also planning some things locally here in the state too. Right. So talk a little bit about that. So we are working these notebooks or these workbooks that we're creating. The idea is to create our first version of Ashalaya here next summer. Um, so the goal is that we'll have basically a solid, like I said, minimum of eight weeks of curriculum activities, 
for the children to start here because we have people in our community who have children and it's always a struggle every year trying to figure out very true where are you going to send your kids for the summer when they're off for the summer so you know i'm a firm believer in the saturday school model mm-hmm. um so we're 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 aiming to do summer school first and then maybe eventually move to an all-year-round saturday school model um i have ha- i've been approached by people in oshogbo to move towards that model there as well but i just don't have the resources at this point right, right. to do a you know all year round um saturday school model for the children but the long-term vision really is to have these kind of pockets of children who have gone through our curriculum and and eventually to have those children network with each other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to interface with each other um and who knows what they're going to do? You know, like when you think about biblically, I think it was Moses, <laughs> who, you know, where he said God told him it was just his job to get the people to the valley, but yeah. he was never going to be able to live in the valley. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, that's how I feel. I don't think I'm going to experience what these children are, are going to do. Right. I'm just supposed to create the pathway for them mm-hmm. to do it. Cause I don't think I'm gonna live long enough to, to see, right, right. you know, what comes out of it. I just know that, Young people are going to do what young people do, which is things that you and I just can't imagine. Right. And so I firmly believe that if we if we give them this grounding and we provide this type of information and we help them to understand that they're connected to each other and that they really can make a difference, who knows what the technology will be like 50 years mm-hmm. from now and what they'll be able to do with that. I mean, I think about myself and I, I don't, find myself to be somebody of, you know, super great status, but I know some people in some places, right? You know, like I know some Grammy award winners and yeah, I know some, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking if I have Ashalaye in Sierra Leone, Nigeria, Tallahassee, Ghana, where have you, that's what 500 kids, 600 mm-hmm. kids or more, who knows who's going to be what in right. that group of children. And they will have a built in network with Already. each other from there. So who knows what they'll create mm-hmm. from that point. We might be creating the next movers and shakers Absolutely. of Africa. We might be creating the next Pan-African you know, leaders for the next generation. Who knows? I don't know what they're going to do. They will be the ones who build they, they Wakanda. Will, that's right. They might be the ones to build Wakanda. They will build the Wakanda. But it all starts with um, with planting a seed first. Exactly. You know? And what what what's that saying? It's, it's easier to build strong children than repair then, broken ends. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and then too, like, I really love um, just the way that the children interact with each other. I was just mm-hmm, telling my mm-hmm. aunt and uncle at my family reunion over the weekend. We had a blind student last year. His name was Lekan. I remember. Yeah. 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 So I was completely unprepared to have a child with any learn with it with any disabilities i just we just didn't have the resources but um one of the elders in ashogbo brought him to uh to ashalaye because he had not been in school for at least five to six years he had been removed from school um because he started to go blind and his parents or his family or whoever never sent him back to school so our classroom experience was the first classroom experience that he had had for like five or six years or whatever. And I was wow. like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to teach a blind student. I don't mm-hmm. know what to do. But we had only planned on hiring eight teachers. Um, but what I did was hire a ninth that was his full-time teacher. So what he did was just shadow him and be with him the whole time. I explain things to him or what have you. So within the first week of school, 
after I don't know when Lacan when the last time he had seen a map of Africa or if he had ever seen a map of Africa I really don't know but within the first week this kid had memorized like 36 countries out of the 54 it's amazing countries in mm-hmm. Africa in the first week so what that let me know was you know this is a situation where he just needs an opportunity yeah and so what we decided to do was to pay his school fees so now Dunia Fore pays his school fees at the Oshogbo School for the Blind mm. and um when when we told the children, the rest of the children. I need y'all to listen to what she just said. Duny Afore just paid this child school fees because Nigeria is different than in the states where public school is is free right. for for children. Right. Nigeria is one of those countries where children have to pay to go you to have school. Have to pay school fees, right? Duny Afore just paid for this child to be able to go to a school that specifically for his special needs, right? So that he can do. I just needed people to really understand what was happening here. Right. Continue talking right. about this baby now. So we paid for his school fees. And that, I mean, that it's not like here. So you got to buy his uniform. Right. We had to buy his typewriter, his mm-hmm. Braille typewriter. We had to buy the the um, the media for him to be able to type in Braille on. We had to buy all of his school supplies. Yeah. We bought, we, you know, we paid for all of that. And then we're now paying for his annual school fees. And so when we told the children that we were going to pay his school fees, they all stood up and cheered and it was the most amazing thing mm-hmm. that I I mean I was just stunned because they were so happy for him like they all you know went and hugged him and they were lifting his arms up and they were they probably shook the shit out of him <laughs> you know what I'm saying like just the excitement they were so excited and they were clapping for him and it was just like a beautiful expression of communalism yeah you know and that's something that I want to they have it but that's something in the places where we don't necessarily have it it's something that I want to um to encourage mm-hmm. among the other students and, and you know my my the people who helped me in Oshogma they sent me pictures of him every year and he's making progress and people don't realize in other countries Nigeria does not have a social welfare system. So right. there is no safety net. So people who are born with list disabilities, whether those disabilities are their limbs or, you know, their eyes or they can't hear or whatever, most of the time, unless these people come from very close knit families where somebody's constantly going to be taking care of them, these are the people who fall through the cracks and they mm-hmm. end up being beggars on the street. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> we got him a cell phone so that he could call Muidin. And Muidin said, Lekan calls me every day. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he calls me every day and he prays for you every day. I love it. He says, you know, he says, you know, God bless Auntie Labisi. I'm so thankful that I get to go to school because otherwise I would just be a beggar. And and, and Nzinga is Auntie Labisi. I'm, I'm Auntie Labisi, right? I'm Auntie Labisi. So... You know, it's just, it's very rewarding. It's extremely rewarding to work in a place where the children themselves, it's not like their parents are having to knock them upside the head and mm-hmm. force them to come. Like, they be ready, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they just flood in every day. They're running. <laughs> like, you know, and they, they themselves, yeah, they themselves see the value in it and they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start posting the essays that they wrote last year because I, at the end of the year, yeah. I was like, you know, write an essay and tell me what you learned what you thought about your experience, what you liked, what you didn't like. And some of them wrote some really, really interesting essays. So I'm going to start posting those um, this year so people can kind of see, you know, what they they thought about the whole experience. You should film a documentary. We're going to. Great. We're going to. um, 
great, I've spoken great, great. with um, Shaun. So yeah, 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 yeah. Kuti. Um, I approached him when I first started raising funds for the whole thing, and he really loved the idea. And he helped me to do a fundraiser in Lagos mm-hmm. in 2017 before the school started. So I'm for gonna, those who don't know, Shaun Kuti is the son of Fela Kuti. Fela Kuti, right? So um, I've already kind of dropped some hints in his ear. Hello, Shaun. Don't forget what I said. <laughs> <laughs> come on, act. Right. Come on, and I mean, he said he's open to doing it. He's just busy. You know, sure. When you're sure. a superstar. When you're a star and all right. on tour. <laughs> you got stuff to do. You got things but, to do. But um, if I could just get over there when he's on his downtime and he's not on tour, I think we're going to make some of the things that we talked about happen with the documentary and maybe some music. So... Word, yes. word. You, I let me be a part of it. Call me. Right, right, right. You know me. I'll show the fuck up. Yes, we definitely gonna need sound people. And, I um, show. I I will show up. I'm because I'm just such a fan. Isn't the word I want to use. I'm I'm really a supporter. supporter. I'm 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 inspired by it. I'm excited about it. You know, a, a lot of my career and life work revolves around children. Children, yeah. and so. I'm excited by it. And, you know, I tell people all the time, like, you don't have to be the one to do every damn thing. Right. What you need to do is do what you're supposed to do. And then other people that right. are doing other things we'll that, fill in. That, that that align with your values, support the hell out of it. Yeah. This is why I have her on TC Talks. This is why. Yes. Um, I, 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 as much as I can, I'll try she to She gives every money. year, y'all. Every she gives money every, every year. Every year. Every year, and I'm trying to do it twice this year just because I'm excited about the curriculum being able to um, come here uh, to the States. And I can I can, I can just see what can happen when these yeah. children start coming out there. Because, you know, back in the day, we used to have like pen right? And, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Stuff like that. And, yeah. and a lot of the times the children, um, they're disconnected. Yes. And the world is getting so much smaller Closer. now. And with technology... We really can be doing a lot more with mm-hmm. that. And so we have an avenue here. And so if, if, cause I know y'all listening have been inspired <laughs> and y'all just want to, what, what they say, what they say to church house, you want to reach way down in your pocket, in your pockets. Right. And if you want to support this work, uh, sister Zinga, can you please tell them where they can find uh, the organization on the internet and also how they can donate? Yes. So you can reach our organization online at www.dunia, that's D-U-N-I-A, Fore, which is F as in Frank, O-R-E, dot org. And um, we have a donate page, and there's also donate links on every one of our pages. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Any any um, social media handles? Um, Dunia Fore. Dunia Fore. Um, du- that's two words on Facebook. Uh-huh. And then on Instagram, we're one word, Dunia yes. Fore. Dunia Fore. Um, and then what else? We are also, we also got, um, we're registered in Cuba. Now. Ah, yes. I saw the, the video, the promo yes. video for that. Yeah, we're registered in Cuba now. So um, I hit kind of a bump in the road with our personnel and how we're going to, how I'm going to function in Cuba. I'm going to have to work that out. It might take a little bit longer than mm-hmm. I originally planned, but I'm planning on doing some work in Cuba. And um, I'll be going to Sierra Leone next week and I'll be registering in Sierra Leone. So my organization will be officially, um, you know, legally functioning in the United States, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, and Cuba. Y'all heard that? That's beautiful. Um, any Anything that you want to add or say? Any closing remarks? Yeah. I mean, I think I just want um, our folks out there to know that 
first of all, there aren't that many black owned nonprofit 501c3s that you can easily just put your hand on out there. Um, second of all, for the larger nonprofit, most of those organizations, if you do just a little bit of research on your own, you'll see that a very small percentage of your donations go directly towards the programming. Yep. Our organization is the exact opposite. So, I mean, I haven't done the exact numbers, but I know for a fact that probably 85 to 90% of your donation goes directly toward, like if you send me money, I'm ordering the computers on Amazon <laughs> with that money. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? If you send me money, that's the money I'm using to buy the t-shirts for mm -hmm. the children. If you send me money, that's the money I'm using to pay for their daily lunches. Yeah. You know, that's... We and don't... she has to pay people to come cook these lunches. Right. I have to pay people to come cook the lunches. Mm -hmm. I have to buy the oil. I have to buy the rice. I have yeah. to buy the tomatoes. I have to buy the onions. I got to buy the eggs. I got to buy the noodles. You know, none of these things are just happening by happenstance. Mm -hmm. So when you send money, that money is nine. The vast majority of that money is going directly towards what I'm talking about. I'm doing, I have not taken a salary. I don't take a salary. Yeah. Um, I pay everybody else, right. but I don't take a salary. Not because I don't feel like my time is worth it, but because I need the organization to get to the point where it can afford to pay me a salary. Right. And I feel like the work is more important at this point than me having a salary. Mm -hmm. So my nine teachers get a salary. My sub, my, you know, my um, assistant gets a salary. My community liaisons get salaries. I don't pay myself. I also most of the time pay my own ticket mm -hmm. to go to Nigeria. You know, my own expenses, they come out of my pocket. Mm -hmm. I'm not using the organizational money to pay for my yeah. expenses. There yeah. may be times where I'm like running short and I, I need to, you know, pay for an extended stay if my flight got delayed and I have to stay overnight in Morocco because I can't get to the yeah. United States yeah. <laughs> and I got to pay $150 for a hotel, you know, but outside of that, I'm not reaching into the organizational coffers to cover the vast majority of my expenses. So I know that that's something that a lot of people have questions about with nonprofits. Like yeah. What is the, what is the margin whereby you're spending the money? The vast majority of the money goes directly mm -hmm. towards our programming. If you send me $200 today, that's going to our FAMU student. So she can go to Ghana. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to pull out my ATM card. I'm going to get on Cash App and I'm going to send her that money so that she can, you know, afford to make this birthright trip. Nice. And that's really the way that I want to continue to run the organization. I definitely would, if anybody's out there who's great at grant writing, hit me up because <laughs> we definitely need help. But I don't want to put myself in a position where if the federal government doesn't give me money, I can't function. Mm. The people talk about this. Black people talk about this. I'm going to get in y'all behind for a minute. Yeah. People talk about self-sufficiency all the time. Mm -hmm. And why can't we do blah, 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 blah. Why can't we do this on our own? This is what doing things on our own looks like. Mm -hmm. And if you are not going to be the people on the front line, then the least you can do is support the people who are on the Come front on line. Come on now. Everybody was in they, in they feelings about Nipsey Hussle. Yeah. Are you supporting your community, Nipsey Hussle? Mm -hmm. Are you supporting the person who is doing that work right now today? Mm -hmm. Or are you just crying over spilt milk? Because mm -hmm. there are people who are willing to do the work. And we know not everybody's going to be able to get on a plane and fly all over the world like a crazy person and right. get malaria like I do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a real thing. That's people. a real thing. I had malaria last year. Child, my short-term memory was gone. Baby. People was asking me, did I eat? I was like, I don't remember. <laughs> Lord today. 
But if you're not one of those people who has the desire to be on the front line, because everybody doesn't. They don't. Yeah. And that's fine. Or if you don't have the time or you don't have the resources or the energy to be on the front line, support those of us who support, are. Support. That's all it requires. You know, it doesn't take my organization that much money. For example, Ashalaye, for me to run it for a month, cost me about $8,000 in one location. Mm-hmm. What other organizations mm-hmm. out there are running full programs for that amount of mm-hmm. money? With the community impact. With the community impact and mm-hmm. with the buy-in from the community. Okay. You know, That's we had one part. of our elders. I didn't know he was sending the kids on the bus. You know what I'm saying? But because he felt like this is a worthwhile, this is a worthwhile you know, effort, I'm going to get a bus. And he was bringing about 50 kids. Listen, <laughs> truckloads of children truck showing of ch- up in a bus. In, in a, a bus. <laughs> so, you know, this is you know, this is the thing is, I know what I can do. Right. With $8,000. Yeah. Meanwhile, you got organizations out here who are raking in millions Listen, of dollars, pissing away millions, millions. of dollars. But for $8,000, I can run a summer school for children mm-hmm. for a month. Mm-hmm. in Africa. Mm-hmm. It's not that much money. Mm-mm. You know, if we had two, three, four thousand people give $50, we set. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not that much money. And we have to start thinking about what we really value. Do we value the work that mm-hmm. we say we want to see from mm-hmm. other black people? Or mm-hmm. are we just talking? Hello? It really does come down to that. Mm-hmm. You know, and my thing is, people are always asking me, well, why don't you do this stuff here? Just like they was dealing with Oprah. Why don't you make no school here? First of all, I can't do nothing for $8,000 in the United States. You sure can't. I can't get a building. I can't get licensed. I can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, all the expenses that it would cost for me to run a sober summer program, I can't do that for $8,000 here. So my what my organization does is we try to figure out where we can go and make the biggest impact for an economical amount of money. What can I do that's going to impact the most amount of people without costing everybody an arm and a leg? Mm-hmm. And if that's something that you feel like makes sense, then support us. It doesn't really it really doesn't cost that much money for us to do the things that we do. Eventually, I'm hoping, you know, we'll get the attention of maybe somebody important who will be like, "Well, yeah, I really think this is worthwhile." And they'll sling us some some G's, some yeah, stacks, yeah, and then yeah. we'll really be able to act crazy. Yeah. But until then, I'm perfectly content to work mm-hmm. where I'm working. My five-year plan is to just continue Ashalaye in Oshogbo, establish it in um, Sierra Leone and here, and then get my programming in Cuba off the ground. And I'm staying at that level until, you know, bigger bucks start rolling in. There you go. There you go. So all you people out there, make sure you uh, share this content. People need to hear it. Make sure you're following uh, Dunia Fore and following all the beautiful things that are happening with Ashalaye Academy. Uh, Dr. Nzinga, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much I for having me. Thank you. you for listening, everyone. Yes, y'all. I need y'all to get with the program. I yes. need you to support, support, support. If you ain't got the money, I know you got $5 somewhere in your That's cash That's right. We app. take $5 donations. I know you got $10 <laughs> somewhere in there. If you got 100 cool, if you got a 200 cool, I know somebody out there is feeling real Real, real, real frisky and got 500 on it. But, you know, I'm going to let y'all be great. Right. Um, make sure you're supporting it. And I'm, and I'm being jokey and tongue in cheek just because that's my personality. But I'm partially serious, too, um, because we have to start. I always tell people money is a prayer. Mm-hmm. 
money is a prayer that where it goes is going to be successful that it's going to um bring you some type of value that's really what money is it's a way to exchange mm-hmm. value and we need to be a lot more intentional about with what we do with it, our right. money is going so um you know and it's tax write-off 501c3 that's right anything that you give to us is a uh, tax write-off yeah you can write this thing off baby. write it off baby. all right all right y'all be great i'ma holla at you peace Thank you again, Dr. Nzinga, for coming through and gracing myself and my audience with your presence. We truly appreciate it. Y'all make sure you're following Dooney on Forte on Facebook and Instagram. And make sure you donate. And uh, if you have ever purchased any merchandise from me or made any donation, a portion of that goes to Dooney on Forte. I'm just letting y'all know. We're keeping it circular up in here. we got to support each other. We all we got. Thank you for rocking with TT. Stay tuned for the next episode. Watch out for the uh, new video content that I have coming out. And keep rocking with me. Peace.